Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday. I'm your host, Joy Keyes. I want to thank you guys so much for listening to the show. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keyes. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keyes, and on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keyes. I'm doing a giveaway today, so you definitely want to check it out. Also, I have a lot of books and things that I haven't given away yet. So if you see a giveaway on any of the pages or something, don't be afraid. Try to call, email me at SaturdaysWithJoyKeys at Hotmail.com. You might still be able to get one of those items because I usually get um, – I'm being blessed with a lot of things recently. So just keep trying. And also, you can listen to us on iHeartRadio now and Amazon Music. Well, today I have this wonderful author. This is her first book, A Song of Rapes and Ruins, and um, it's just so many layers to it. It's magical. It's fantasy. She's dealing with mental health. She's she's dealing with oppression, uh, so many things that um, are going on in this book. I really encourage you to pick up. Her name is Roseanne or Rosie A. Brown. Good morning, Roseanne. Good morning, Joy. How are you doing? I am doing very well, trying to deal with this COVID. I'm I'm over COVID though. How about mm-hmm. you? How are you dealing with the COVID? Um, by dealing, I am basically living in my pajamas and living in my bed. That's how I'm dealing with it. So not well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and I feel a little guilty. Like, damn, I'm like, I, I, I just, at first I was like, okay, I'm just going to put like some eyeshadow on because the mask, you know, you can't see my mouth or anything. And I'll just put like some chapstick on and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. now I'm at the point where I'm like, forget it. I'm I'm not going to, as long as my face is clean, my hair is okay, I'm, I'm going to walk out the door with this thing on because really, this is, <laughs> I got to the point where I stopped wearing makeup. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. It's too much, right? Mm-hmm. No, and it's just like, it's it's like no one's seeing you. You're not going anywhere. At this point, I have like my daytime pajama set and my nighttime pajama set. Like, it's gotten that bad. Like, Wow. I'm, like, not wearing real clothes. It's really bad. And you know what? I've seen more, um, what do you call them, uh, uh, advertisements, like, on social media uh, platforms and on TV for clothes that are, um, like, pajama clothes, sweatpants. All these companies are coming out with all these different brands 
uh, mm-hmm. of sweatpants and, and cash, cheap cashmere sweaters, you know, that you can feel comfy in and stuff like that. I said, what the heck? Our, our human minds are ingenious, really. I, I really have to give it to our human minds. And, and you are one of those ingenious human minds, okay? You are on that list. <laughs> oh, my God, thank you. Oh, I don't know about that, but thank you. <laughs> well, this, is, this book, as I mentioned earlier, has so many layers to it. Um, and also physical worlds and layers inside of it that, um, you know, somebody, you, you're not, you're not going to be, um, what did my mom used to say? She's not a, a, a stupid or dumb child, you know. <laughs> it's not, it's, that's not way. So we have to give credit where credit is due. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start out with the beginning here. Why are you a writer? So for me, I guess, so if I'm, I think an important thing to know about me is my family immigrated from Ghana, right, when I was very young. So I've spent the majority of my life here in America, but, like, that is where my culture is from. That's where my heritage is from. Mm-hmm. And among the Ghanaian cultures, um, there's just such a strong, just this very strong tradition of oral storytelling and this idea of fantastical narratives. And, like, a lot of people know Anansi. Like, that's probably the most popular one. But, mm-hmm. like, this idea of story not just being, like, something to entertain, but something, a way to pass down history, culture, lessons, like story as a reflection of life. And yeah. that's just something I always grew up as a part of, like this idea of fantasy, like kind of being separate from the real world was not exact. like that's just kind of not how we see it. And so this idea that fantasy was just always around me, it's just has always been the truth. So with me, and then so coming into America, of course, like the whole sort of like culture shock of being an immigrant, you know, that young age, going through all that. And one of the first things that really felt like made me feel like I understood what was happening was books and like stories because I was so used to oral stories and then fantasy stories and going through that and seeing sort of that reflected again in this like new strange place I didn't understand, but I understood fantasy, I understood books. Mm. And that was such a great source of comfort and healing for me being like this young child, like, like, oh gosh, nothing makes sense. I don't understand these people. They don't understand me. I don't speak this language, but I'm like, but I get these books and they get me. And I think as a writer, I always just felt it was, I always had an easier time communicating on the page than I did speaking with people. I know my teachers, that's something they noticed very young age. And like, mm-hmm. it became the most natural way for me to sort of get my thoughts into the world was on the page. And I knew from a really young age, I sort of wanted to make stories that brought, um, especially young readers, especially young black readers, that sort of sense of connection and comfort that books and stories gave me growing up. I heard you like Harry Potter. That's where I heard it started. Oh, yeah, the Harry Potter, yes. And I'm like, there's there's a lot with Harry Potter now. Like, the very first one was, I was literally, like, in BJ's. I don't even know if they have BJ's anymore, but I was at BJ's with my mom. And I must have been, like, second grade or something. And, like, we're walking through BJ's, and I'm like, Mom, 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 there's, like, this toy I really wanted. It was, like, this stuffed dog. And I was like, I really just, I want this. I was being very annoyed about it, right? Yeah. And then she's like, okay. I will get you the dog if you go to the little book section, you pick up one of the books, read the entire thing in English, and tell me what it's about. And this what? entire conversation. Yeah, yeah. mine was hardcore. <laughs> My mom, she, no, like, you, you know these African parents, they do not play around. Like, okay. And at this point, like, my grasp of the language was, like, when I say uh, my grasp of the language was not good, like, my teachers were pulling my parents aside, like, she does not understand what's happening. She does not know what's going on. Like, she might have to be held back a year. Like, she just does not get it. Oh, boy. So they were, oh, boy. Yeah, so they were, at this point, we'd only been in America for a couple of years, too. So um, there was very, a lot of worry, like, oh, gosh, this language thing is going to be a big hurdle. It's going to hold her back from her peers. So that was my mom's, like, you can have a toy if you can read a book. And I'm like, oh, fine, Mom. And I stomp over, <laughs> and the book was, 
Harry Potter, Sorcerer's Stone, and I was just hooked from there. Like, I didn't, I never actually even got the toy. I need to talk to her about that. But I was just, like, hooked. I was like, whoa, like, you can, you can, like, put words on paper and people see things in their brain, what? And, like, just from there, it just uh, sort of, like, just, it all just blew up from there. And, like, um, me just learning better so I could read more books. And, like, it so really opened up that whole like the whole language, like even me being able to talk to you right now really started with books and reading and all that. So now how do you keep track of all these different names of the characters, the languages they speak, the places they go? You have a map in the beginning of the book. How do you, do you have like a little um, index for yourself? You know, like cause when you're writing, maybe you're in chapter four, but then you get to chapter 20 and it's like, wait, what was that place called? How do you keep track of all that? I'll be honest with you, it's everywhere. I'm not even going to lie. Like, I know some authors who have, like, these very set, like, binders and indexes and all this stuff. Um, So for me, I use a program called Scrivener, which is my favorite writing program. And what's really nice about Scrivener is, like, it keeps all your files in one big, like, mega file. So, like, the interface, you can see them all at once. So normally whenever I write something down, I'll just kind of drop it in there. But my mistake is I tend not to look at it ever again. So I'll I'll write it down. I just won't look. (laughs) And so my editor, my copy editor, will definitely be like, Rosie, um, does Malik have, like, two sisters or six? I'm like, you know what? That's an excellent question. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I have to go back a lot. And I'm going to pretend, like, my early drafts, everything is 100% gels the way it should. So it's very much uh, constantly going back, checking, finding, like, the different things. Especially because I'll write anywhere. Like, I'm very much not someone like, oh, I need to be right here at this time, this place. Like, for me, especially because, like, I was working full-time when I was working on rates, and so it was very much a fit-in writing wherever you could. So uh-huh. because of that, like, part of the book's in Google Docs, part of it's in Word, part of it's in Scrivener, part of it's in my notebook, part of it's written on a napkin. Like, it's just everywhere. Oh, my so, God. Yeah, so you were like, your editor probably was like, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> She's like the nicest. Like, she would say it like that. She's like, let's go over this again. And I know that's code for, ooh, I messed up something. <laughs> <laughs> so now um, I was reading that this uh, fantasy land is also, again, connected to your history of the Akan people of Ghana called the Day Name System. Can mm-hmm. you explain that to the audience, the Day oh. Name System? Sure, of course. Um, so among the Akan people um, of Ghana, um, they kind of, there's this belief that the day of the week on which a person is born has a lot of importance about the kind of person they are, or the kind of life they're going to lead. There's different kind of traits and attributes and things. And so as part of this, um, each day of the week has a different name associated with it, right? So to okay. give an example, I was born on Saturday. My name is Ama, right? Um, and so there's this idea that, like, for many people um, born among these tribes, what, like, I could see someone's name and I could tell exactly, oh, they were born Friday, they were born Tuesday, and it's something that has great importance. And wow. So I something in my book that honored that but didn't do it exactly 100% because I know, like, that's something that's very important. I didn't want to just kind of fictionalize it. So within the context of the book, I made it so that, like, the day of the week a person is born decides what kind of magic they can do. This idea. Right. So there's this idea of the society that's broken into kind of seven categories and everyone kind of fits into one. And so kind of that was my way of sort of honoring this tradition without exactly pulling the tradition 100% and like putting it on the page. Now, in the book, you talk about this magic. And like you said, everybody has different types. We don't learn that until a little further in. You're not going to, as a reader, you won't know that. But but I, I will give the, the, the audience this. Now, there's two different types of magic. There's the Wenji and the Urology is telling mm-hmm. 
Is, am I saying that correctly? I'm, you know what? When you read it, you're making up in your head that that, that how to say these. But is that the correct way to say it? Yeah, Zoenji and Yoravi. Yes. Okay. Now, what's the difference between those two magics? So between there, so I I want to start with obviously the seven day of the week, and then I kind of want to go even a little more specific. And basically, the only real difference is Zoenji magic is like physical world. So it's like elemental, like if your um, listeners know Avatar The Last Airbender, like the idea of waterbender, firebender, like that type of thing, mm-hmm. versus Yilraji is intangible magic. It's like, it's kind of, it's more like the force, Star Wars, like the idea, like mind power, it's like reading minds, um, yeah. creating illusions, like that type of thing. Um, because I really kind of, I was very fascinated kind of in the way people categorize themselves and like the idea that even among people who can do these sort of fantastical things, they still sort of create this division between themselves. Like, oh yeah, we're all magic users, but you're that kind of magic user. You're not this kind. There's like a difference there. And yeah. it's, it's kind of an arbitrary like distinction. Like it's not like the only big, the real, the world itself, the big distinctions are like the one of the seven, but like within that it's the separate one is sort of a human construct. This idea that like, even within fantasy worlds, humans still kind of find ways to construct these sort of differences between themselves that might not actually be that important. Well, that's like the issue of race, you know, that um, mm-hmm. you're only white because we said, okay, this is white. You're only black because we said this is black. I mean, think mm-hmm. about the Hutus and the Tutsis. It's like, what? Who? They don't look any different. It's just because you got that designation, you know. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that's one of the great things about the book is that it's dealing with this issues of oppression but why is this person being oppressed? It, I mean, do they look any different? Do they have any different capabilities? But how this generational oppression then is affecting the mental health of mm-hmm. these different characters and mm-hmm. how they carry themselves and believe in what they can do. So there's these two main characters, Karina and Malik, and we at first think they're completely on other sides of the speech spectrum, you know what I mean, like away from each other. But as you read the book further, you'll learn more about them and how connected they are and interconnected. Um, now, are any of the names that you use in there, I know like Ade Tunde, like I know somebody whose name is Ade, <laughs> and I think that's like King, right, uh, in mm-hmm. Yoruba. And um, the, some of the words and languages, they are real, yes? Yeah? Yeah, basically, I kind of want to do a mix of real, like, obviously, Malik, Karina, real names, and then also, like, made-up names, like, Sarahel, Bedele. Mostly, kind of my decision there was, like, I think that's something we see a lot in a lot of Western fantasy. Like, Game of Thrones is the first one that comes to mind, where you have made-up names, like Cersei and Sansa. But you also have, like, King Robert. You have Ned. You have Rob. Like, Mm -hmm. this idea that it's a world that's familiar to ours, but still different. And so that was a very conscious decision to use real names that, different African cultures within sort of like the West African Trans-Saharan corridor. That was sort of my big inspiration that were real names in that area, but also mm-hmm. a bunch of the names are sort of, they're, they're made up. It's a fantasy. Some of the creatures are real creatures, than, well, real mythical creatures in our world, I should say, but then others are creatures I completely made up. And like, what is, go ahead, sorry. I don't know. Uh, and that was really, it's just like kind of the idea of wanting to make sort of, that's something fantasy has done a lot, and I hadn't seen fantasies based on Africa that were kind of doing that. So that's kind of where my inspiration was for that. Well, the thing I like about it is I'm African-American, and like you said, having when I was growing up, there weren't books with African-Americans in, in fantasy uh, doing these amazing things. So, you know, I was a Star Wars person. You know, mm-hmm. I was into Dune. I was into Ursula Le Guin. I was, all these different things, my, you know, I blame it on my parents, but they got me into it. 
but mm-hmm. there was nobody that looked like me. And so and when I was reading your book in particular, what I loved is this one scene where um, the maid is doing uh, Karina, she's the um, princess, her hair, and she was like, she was doing her hair and greasing it with the shade butter and this and that and doing the two-strand twist. And I said, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> my God. Like that alone, that alone right there was like, I know that. You know what I'm saying? Like, as a black girl, I know when somebody's, you know, grieving my scalp <laughs> and twisting my hair. And that, you don't have that, um, mm-hmm. you know, in these other books. Well, I mean, now you have some more uh, writers who are doing it, but that detail alone really helped me connect to the character. Um, where where did you decide to put in, like, very specific things like that, like she was doing the two-strand twist and the shaver and, and not, like, do you want everybody to enjoy it, or you are are you only looking for African American kids and and people to enjoy it? Like, who's the book for, so to speak? Um, well, definitely the book is for everyone, but I truly believe that like the universal exists in specificity in the sense that like putting those very specific sort of like experiences, like like you mentioned, like the experience of being a black girl getting your hair done, like that is something that is very specific like to us to our kind of hair, but it's also a bigger moment. Like lots of people know can experience like you having an intimate moment with your friend and like you kind of sharing something with them like mm-hmm. so even though for us we re- re- understand that tactile experience what that's like on a universal level everyone knows what it's like to just be you and your friend and you're just shooting the shit you know yes, <laughs> right exactly exactly and so even, even though like my priority was always like experiences black kids could recognize that they could see that they can know i truly believe that even within those specific moments that are so specific to us in our culture there's still something very universal, very human about it that people are, that like wide audiences are going to resonate with and that they have resonated with. And definitely that idea. And so, so there's moments like that. And there's just kind of like little things that like fancy characters do that I just, you always kind of have to think like, would a black kid actually do that? Like there's a scene where Karina kind of has this argument with her mom and like for in all intents and purposes, it's actually a pretty subdued argument. Like she never really yells at her. She doesn't really like, insult her because I'm like black kids are not even when they're mad at their parents they're not going to be like shouting like no this that's not going to happen yeah yeah I I have to agree with that almost yeah yeah yeah, I was like no her mom will kill her like no matter how mad Karina is Karina cannot be going around here like slamming doors like no and so like there's very much kind of like there's this balance as an author like wanting to get across these very big emotions like very big very realistic anger but also the cultural understanding like if I had Karina just go in there and saw her mom start slamming doors, banging out, Black girl's going to be like, that, that's not realistic. That is not, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. Exactly. Well, you know, also on the macro level in the book, when they do the, the they, there's a scene where the um, military, uh, I mean, if you want to think about the militarism in our society, but they, they storm um, a, a neighborhood. That's, a, mm-hmm. that's something that people deal with around the globe and, mm-hmm. um, you know, people mm-hmm. of African diaspora. Um, the government, you know, coming in um, and just doing whatever they feel to mm-hmm. and, and destroy properties and things that people work for and, and then just leaving them. And, mm-hmm. the, and the thing is, in your book, your character, Malik, knows, like, okay, he knew, okay, this I got to get out of here. And these other people who have privilege just sat there like, we're going to be fine. Oh, why are you <laughs> running? If something, were you running, like, then something was wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I really love, I, I believe that people um, really are going to connect with that specificity. That's another moment I felt. You got the mm-hmm. hair, but then you also now have this moment of the weight. And I think, 
people will relate to that. Um, who did you like? I mean, is there a favorite character that you, or let me say this, is somebody you relate to, like this is really my voice and nobody knows it, <laughs> that type of thing? I think, oof, the thing is my favorite and who I relate to are two slightly different people because okay, okay. who I relate to is actually Malik. People are always surprised to hear that, but like the kid with like anxiety, the kid who like did not speak up, who didn't say anything, who like just had so much going on in their head, but like nothing was actually coming out like that. That's me. Like, yeah. that's definitely me. And, like, for me, I really, it was really important to me to, like, have an anxious main character as the main character of this book. Like, a kid for who, um, in fantasy a lot, we see mental illness. It's either, like, kind of a metaphor or okay. it's, like, big, it's very villainized, stigmatized. And I want a character, like, no, he's dealing with serious mental health issues. He has a serious panic disorder. And he also has magic powers. Like, one is not a substitute for the other. Um, right, but see, he but, thought that was a problem. You know, he didn't know that. And, and then the society, um, that happens with people who are dealing with mental health. And in the African-American community, we don't think about mm-hmm. going to therapy. That's for white people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, nothing's wrong. Um, just hide it under the rug. And I just had a show on domestic violence, um, but we also mentioned just briefly just about child abuse. And so these are things that are happening in our communities, and we can't sweep them under a rug. When your child mm-hmm. comes to you and tells you that something's going on, you know, try to get help for them. You know, mm-hmm. but, but this society that you created in this book, um, they they are not supporting him at all. They they're afraid of him. I think really. Mhm. Yeah, they're definitely like this kind of idea. Like we don't understand this, so it must be bad. And like there's very much this idea. His like magic powers definitely aren't helping with his anxiety. Definitely, but it's very much a situation. Even if he didn't have magic powers, he'd still be anxious. But it's just like having both is definitely making each one worse. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, the girl also has issues too, though. She um now, so that's the one you relate to. Who's your favorite? Favorite? I'd probably have to say this. Actually, feels like it changes from month to month. Right now, I feel very. I really like Tunde, like who you mentioned earlier. Like, kind of, he's Malik's friend. He's kind of like Karina's ex. Like, he's kind of like on the side for most of the story. But I feel like he's one of those characters who's very important because he kind of shows both Malik and Karina sort of like ways they need to improve themselves. And like, okay, one of those characters. Yeah. And readers have been, readers like Tunde a lot. I get, I feel like more than anyone behind Malik and Karina, Tunde is the person most people write about. Like, oh my God, I love Tunde, blah blah blah. And yeah, so, well, Driss was kind of like a little annoying. You know, the the character Driss was like, and yeah. I mean, no, no, in a good way as a writer. I'm just saying, like, <laughs> yeah. and that's what you, yeah, I think you wanted is, you know, like, oh God, this dude. Okay, <laughs> you no, know, um, just shut up. You know, type of thing. <laughs> But at first, I didn't trust Tundi. I, 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 did, I, I didn't, I don't, I was kind of, mm, I was like, mm, Malik, I don't know. Don't, <laughs> don't trust him. I'm reading like, mm, I can see this is going to go wrong, you know. Um, <laughs> but um, so let me ask you this. You have a new book coming out, yes? Yes, 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 yes. So when, next, oh, what's, the, what's the name of the book? And, and when, when can we expect that book? So the sequel is called A Psalm of Storms and Silence, which is a lot of alliteration again. I'm sorry. But, um, <laughs> the sequel right now is we're aiming for um, June 1st, 2021. And okay. so this, it's, the problem with the sequel is, like, there's really no way to talk about it without spoiling the ending of book one. Yes. So yes. all I'm okay. going to say about the sequel is Malik and Karina, like, they both make it a book two. I guess that's a spoiler. They don't die. But... Um, it's, we very much sort of expand on what happened in the end, and the stakes definitely raise a lot from the first book. And Malik okay. and Karina, they both sort of 
learn more about the world, the history of the world, the magic of the world. And they, the stakes within book one, they're just sort of trying to kill each other, right? Like the stakes are very personal for both of them. Like yeah. very important, but just it's kind of low stakes just in the general expanse of the world. And in book two, this is like actual like nations at stake, world at stake, like each decision they're making like has huge consequences. And so they're both dealing with that as well. Now, I heard you like Pokemon Go. Is that still Pokemon. the case? I love what Pokemon. What is it that you like Pokemon Go? Talk to me about this. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I just, I have been playing, let's see, I think I've been playing since maybe Crystal. So I haven't been playing since like Red and Blue, the first one. But like basically my whole life I've been playing Pokemon. I was literally playing Pokemon Go not that long ago. There's just um, a gym right near here, and I just took the gym back in Team Yellow. But... <laughs> <laughs> I just, I think what I just love about Pokemon, it's just, like, such an adventurous, like, very joyful, like, especially right now in 2020, there's just not a lot of that. And then one thing um, about Pokemon is they were one of the first um, video game franchises that when really, when Global really started embracing, like, lots of different races, ethnicities, like, they, it was one of the first video games you could really kind of change your race within, wow. like, number, but one of the first, one of the first to also offer a girl option. Like, it's just, they've always been very inclusive, and their new one, Sword and Shield, there's multiple different black characters, and they're not all related, and that's not something we're seeing in a lot of video game franchises yet. So, like, Pokemon has always just felt so much more welcoming than a lot of other, like, big global, like, video game franchises, because we could have a whole different conversation on how sort of racist and sexist video games can be. Uh, yeah, we can, we can go into that. And, and your book deals with some of the sexism in the world, too, and, and patriarchy and the different cultures of the different characters um, mm-hmm. and, and how they're trying to, I guess, break out of that mold, or some are still trying to stay in that mold. Um, mm-hmm. So that's in your book as well. So there's so much in there. It's, it's not just a girl book. It's, that's another thing. So you have the, the voice of a boy, you have a, a voice of a girl, and, and the chapters switch back and forth. Um, so that um, you're not bored at all, you, you're keeping you on your toes type of thing, because you're like, wait, I, but I want to know more about Malik. But then here comes Karina, and then Malik, you're like, come on now, wait. <laughs> yeah, that was very much intentional, because, like, this, even as we're seeing way more black authors and, like, black stories, especially in fantasy, that's still sort of an area. There have been so many wonderful books with black girls and the main lead in fantasy, but sort of the black boys, we have not been seeing as many. And I okay. knew from the, and Malik was actually the first character I came up with. Malik came before Karina. And like, I just sort of knew from the start, like I wanted to center a black boy's voice in a fantasy book, like in a fantasy world, like how he met, moved through this world as a black boy, but also like a, a fantasy person. And so that was something that was very important to me that like their voices sounded very different. Like they had to sound different, not just for gender reasons, but like for class reasons, for who they are in the society and all this. But it, I really wanted to read authentic, like a young black book to pick this up. Be like, no, yeah, I could see that this could be me if I was trapped in a fantasy world. <laughs> right. That's what I love about it. We keep saying fantasy, but then there's moments of the, our world that, that, that are in there that, that are parallel, if you will, to what's going on. So if somebody's listening and they're thinking, well, you know, my child or my niece or cousin or somebody doesn't read fantasy, give them this book they'll start reading fantasy, you know what I'm saying? So um, thank you so much, Roseanne. Uh, can you read? You, do, do you feel comfortable at all reading about some, yeah, some I of can the, read. reading some of the book section? Or, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I can read the first. I'll read the first page here. The first page. Okay. Okay. okay, let me see. And I'm, apologies if I sound like a little bit rusty up here. I'm just kind of like, <laughs> okay. So 
uh, I guess just to give some context to you, this is literally the very first page of the, um, of the first chapter. So, <clears throat> Chapter 1, Malik. Abra, Abra, come and gather. A story is about to begin. The griot's voice warbled through the scorching desert air, cutting through the donkey pens and jeweled caravans that populated the tent settlement outside the city-state of Zoran's western gate. On instinct, Malik angled his body toward the storyteller's call, his grip tightening around the satchel strap slung across his chest. The griot was a stout woman, nearly a head shorter than Malik, with a face stretched wide in a tooth-bearing grin. Bone-white tattoos composed of symbols Malik could not understand swirled on every inch of her dark brown skin. Abra, Abra, come and gather. A story is about to begin. The steady rhythm of a djembe drum now accompanied the griot's call, and within minutes, a sizable crowd had formed beneath the baobab tree where she stood. It was the perfect time for a story, too. That hour when dusk met night and the little sunlight that remained left the sky bright but the world below dark. The audience sat on overturned crates and between worn carts, checking the heavens every few minutes for Bahia's Comet, even though its arrival and the start of the festival of Solstagia were still hours away. The griot called a third time, and Leek took another step toward her, then another. When the Zorani had occupied his home in the Eshran Mountains, who remained had carved their marks into Malik's soul. To listen to a griot was to enter a new world, one where heroes danced across the heavens with spirits in their wake and gods turned mountains into being with a flick of their wrists. Malik's body seemed to move forward of its own accord, caught on the hypnotic lure of the woman's voice. He and his sisters had been traveling the Ojibai Desert for two months now, with no company aside from the creaking of the false wagon bottom they hid beneath, the howling cries of the wind shifting through the dunes, and the quiet whimpers of his fellow refugees. Surely there'd be no harm in listening to just one story and letting himself forget for just a moment that they had no room to return to and no... Malik, look out! A strong hand grabbed Malik by the collar and he stumbled backwards. Not even a second later, a leathery foot the size of a small cow slammed to the ground right where he had been standing. A shadow passed over Malik's face as the Chippequee lumbered by, throwing sand and pebbles into the air with each thundering step. <clears throat> Malik had heard stories of Chippequees as a child, but none of the tales had captured the creature's gargantuan size. Bred to hunt elephants on the savanna, the top of its plated head could have easily cleared the roof of his family's old farmhouse. <coughs> and the sharp horn protruding from the creature's nose was nearly as large as he was. <coughs> Are you trying to get yourself killed? snapped Lila, as the Chippequee shadow passed. His older sister glared at him over the bridge of her crooked nose. Watch where you're going! Reality returned to Malik like drops of water from a rusty faucet, and slowly the call to story was drowned out by cries of caravan drivers to their beasts, melodies from musicians regaling audiences with the tales of Solstagia's past, and other sounds of the settlement. Several people had stopped to stare at the idiot boy who had almost gotten himself trampled to death, and the weight of their gazes sent heat rushing to Malik's face. He twisted the worn leather of his satchel strap until it bit into the flesh of his palm. Shadows flickered in his peripheral vision, and Malik squeezed his eyes shut until his head hurt. I'm sorry, he muttered quietly. Hello? Oh, is that... Oh, okay. No, that's oh, great. That's... No, 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 I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much for reading that. I want to thank you for coming on the show and agreeing to do the interview. It's no problem. I, I, I love talking to people. I especially love talking to, like, black women interviewers. Like, I just... 
especially nerd ones. And, like, I, just, <laughs> I love talking to black nerds. Honestly, just love it. <laughs> well, all right. Well, thank you so much. I want you to come back next year when you do your second book so we can talk about that. Definitely. Next summer, I'll be down to talk. We can even do a spoiler chat if people don't mind. Like, I'm totally happy to answer questions about, like, actual spoilers because I feel like a lot of the best stuff in the book is the stuff you can only talk about when people have read it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't want to give it. It's so much in the book. I, and if I give it away, then it kind of messes up surprises. So that's why I was trying to be careful not to say certain things. But <laughs> trust me. So uh, everybody, I want you guys to follow me on Twitter at Joy Keys. Also check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. I'm going to be giving away some copies of Roseanne's book or mm-hmm. Rosie's um, book. Mm-hmm. Um, so follow on social media. And what's your social media hook, Roseanne? Um, you're on Instagram and Twitter. Yes. So um, my handle is at Rosie's Rambles. So that's R-O-S-I-E-S Rambles. Um, one word, and that's the same for Instagram, Twitter. I'm talking about my books. I'm talking about some of the other stuff I have coming up. Um, I have a book coming up with Rick Riordan's line. Um, that's a, for younger readers. And I also have a graphic novel for Marvel following Black Panther, Shuri, and T'Challa when they're kids. And so oh, my I have gosh. A lot of- well, you know, I just had an author, and she did um, Sharia um, just uh, the other day. I had a, uh, her on. She did um, a Nick, Nick Stone. Oh, Nick's, oh, yes. He, her stuff is the best. Yeah, she did the prose novel. This one is graphic. So if you have comic, young comic readers in your life. Um, wow. And yes, and that should, there should be more information on that one coming soon. But like, I'm definitely talking about that. Um, and this year, I'm actually a coach for NaNoWriMo, National Novel Writing Month. And so I'll be with them kind of giving tips on writing a book and like getting a book done in a month and like actually focusing while the world's a nightmare. So that's definitely what people can find on my platform these days. Wow, getting a book done in a month. That's mm-hmm. crazy. Okay, yeah, that's like superwoman stuff. <laughs> it is. It's NaNoWriMo. Every, like, it's, I really like NaNo, like, simply because it, it's like a lot of people are like, oh, I want to write a book, I want to write a book. And, like, what they do is every November, it's National Novel Writing Month, that's what it stands for. And they just kind of, like, this community comes together and people just kind of encourage each other to try and write as much of a book as you can in a month. And I think it's just it's really great for people who feel like they want to be writers but feel like they just can't make that time, like, really becoming this very encouraging community that's like, no, we're going to make time this, like this month we're making time. That's good. That's a really good, um, sounds like a really good group. So yeah, people, you guys check that out. And again, thank you, Roseanne, for coming on. I hope you have a wonderful weekend in your day pajamas and then <laughs> also your night pajamas. <laughs> I'm going to get good wear of them. Don't worry. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you again, everybody, for tuning in. Check me out on social media so you can win a copy of the book. And um, I'll see you guys next Saturday. To some, a baby's babbling doesn't mean much, but it does. Especially if there's no babbling at all. Little to no babbling by 12 months or later is just one of the possible signs of autism in children. Learn more at AutismSpeaks.org. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Stigma may not directly affect you, but it harms the one in five Americans living with mental health conditions. Which prevents millions of people from seeking help. So do yourself and everyone a favor. Go to CureStigma.org and get tested for stigma. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.